Welcome to the Coming In For A Landing podcast on the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. Here's your host, Paul Hudrick. Hello, friends, and welcome to this edition of the Coming In For A Landing podcast on the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. I am your host, Paul Hudrick, and I am joined by a very special guest. You know him from NBC Sports Philadelphia, their Sixers insider, and also uh, a I guess I guess we call you a co-host or a frequenter of the Sixers Talk podcast. I don't know how we label that, but uh, that is, of course, my good friend, Noah Levick. Noah, thank you so much for joining me, man. Thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be back on for the first time uh, since you are a father. So it's uh, yes. for me uh, to be talking Sixers basketball as always, but especially in that new context. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, I was, you know, and I wanted to bring him on for you. I just wanted to, you know, let you meet him via Zoom, but unfortunately he's had a little bit of a tough morning and he's sleeping it off right now with mom. So uh we'll eventually you'll meet Miles and hopefully meet Miles in person soon enough. Um, because that will be uh yeah, he's gotta meet he's gotta meet Levick the legend. He's gotta he's gotta understand uh our, our relationship and friendship. So yeah. Um but we are here to talk some Philadelphia 76ers basketball. Uh, last night, tough loss just seemed like a lot of factors, you know, um, they hadn't played a good basketball team since they beat Brooklyn um, on December 30th. I think that was a factor, you know, the beat up on some bad teams and maybe the, the intensity level kind of wasn't quite there from the onset. I think Seth Curry looked a little off coming back from his injury. Tyrese Maxey as well had a really good start. And then I thought he kind of kind of disappeared in the second half. That also could be a matter of him not fully being back after he had a longer absence. And then, you know, I thought the Charlotte Hornets strategy was good against Joel. I thought they did a pretty good job defensively on him, despite the fact that he still scores 31 points, gets the franchise, uh, ties the franchise mark for um, for uh, straight 30 point games with Allen Iverson and Wilt Chamberlain. But no, I just wanted your impressions of the game last night. Their seven game win streak snapped and just what you kind of saw as the biggest factors there. I think there were a combination of issues, some of which were familiar with lack of athleticism, lack of shot creation around Embiid, shaky execution against zone defense, and then some problems that you can probably attribute to not being as focused as they should have been for this game against a Hornets team that in my view, it is better than the record and was coming off uh, back-to-back wins against the Bucs. And I think you saw that problem most with some head-scratching, mind-boggling turnovers. The one which was most in that category for me was Andre Drummond trying to <laughs> find the back pass in the fourth quarter of a game where his team is trying to make a comeback push. Uh, just with a, nobody in the vicinity. Just nobody yeah. there. Not even close. Uh, to his credit, like 30 seconds later, he's throwing a beautiful long outlet to Furkan Korkmaz, but a situation where uh, the Sixers did not need him to be that adventurous as a passer. And Seth Curry had some bad turnovers. Uh, Tobias Harris did as well. Also a few tough whistles um, with offensive fouls and be picked up too early in the game, which he said post-game did affect him and made him feel like he couldn't be quite as aggressive as he wanted, especially defensively. Uh, So confluence of issues in this game uh, that all resulted in the Sixers 
digging a hole for themselves uh, that they weren't able to climb out of. You, you mentioned something right off the top. And I think it's like you said, it's, it's familiar issues. It's, it's things we're all aware of. And it makes me almost want to ask a different question. You talked about, you know, the lack of athleticism and the lack of shot creation. Because of that, it just feels like they almost have to be perfect everywhere else, right? Like they almost have to be perfect in their execution of their offense. Um, they have to play really good defense or else they kind they, they, you know, I guess the, like, for instance, the Hornets, their athleticism and their shot creation can sometimes make up for the fact that they're not a very good defensive team and that perhaps they do play, you know, maybe not always the smoothest basketball and sometimes play a little bit too much one-on-one, but you can get away with that when you have guys that can create their own shot. When you have athleticism, you can get out on the break. And I thought, you know, it's interesting when you talk about officiating, because I don't want to like clearly, like if you're a good enough team, the whistle shouldn't matter. Like you should be able to play through it. But one, yeah, I, I thought it was noticeable that Joel definitely it, it changed him once he picked up the second one and then they picked up the third one in, in the second half. I thought that definitely messed with him a little bit. Um, I thought the whistle in general me- messed with both teams. And I also thought I, I kind of felt like and you can, you know, if, if you agree or disagree, um, but it felt like Charlotte's strategy was almost, well, Joel Embiid is going to get fouled and he's going to go to the line a ton. So let's just hack them because they're they're not going to call everything. And like it almost felt because like he had seven turnovers and I felt like, yeah, three of them were clearly offensive fouls. But then I thought a couple of them were plays where maybe he would have gotten the benefit of a whistle or maybe he didn't as much. Um, and I don't I don't blame Charlotte for that strategy. I kind of almost respect it and almost kind of think that more teams should do it like he's going to get to the line double digit times every game, just because he's so big, he's so dominant, he's so skilled. It's just, it, you, and you, most teams don't have the the physical presence to match him. So you're going to foul him a bunch. He's going to go to the line. So why not just kind of just foul him? Um, you know, both opposing centers had five uh, or, you know, uh, both Plumley and uh, PJ Washington both had five fouls. And I think that was a result of that. I think it's, you're going to get called for fouls anyway, so you might as well be aggressive. Um, so I, I give credit to Charlotte for that. I, I think, too, um, James Bragg is a pretty damn good coach. Uh, he, he coaches them up pretty well because they're they're not a great defensive team, but at least they they show effort and and, and they do put something forth. But it, it, do you kind of see it as that? As like because they do lack in those areas that they almost, the Sixers almost have to be perfect in, in every other capacity? I'm not sure I go quite that far, but I think it's fair to say they have a low margin for error generally against high quality opponents, especially when Embiid is not having an otherworldly performance and does make a few mistakes himself. Just team identity wise, like something that's been different this year is the Sixers are actually a low turnover group without Ben Simmons. And they're a team that's, you know, among the bottom uh, groups in the NBA as far as pace is concerned. So it, it's more deliberate, careful basketball than some of the freewheeling style that it, that is characteristic of Ben Simmons and, and previous Sixers teams. And I think that goes hand in hand with just can't make too many mistakes, need to execute well, need to be focused, and you're going to be punished if at the beginning of the game you're not as ready to play as you should be. And, and that's been an issue, you know, quite a few times 
this season. So, uh, and, and I thought it was, again, uh, problematic last night. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Joel Embiid, so much is on his shoulders, uh, especially this year. We've seen him doing more with the transition playmaking, doing more as essentially the point guard of the offense, handling the ball at the top of the key. And I don't think that that is inherently wrong because he's proven he can handle it and he's proven he can take on those jobs well. Um, but it is an issue when Seth Curry is, you know, just kind of casually throwing the ball to the other team as he, as he tries to hit Embiid on a high-low. Uh, and it's an issue when the offense isn't in sync and in rhythm uh, and flowing the way it had against uh, these, these lower-quality opponents. Right. And you, you know, you touched on the turnovers and um, I know for you personally, you are a big fan of guards who do not turn the ball over. But I have to ask with Maxi, do you find sometimes that almost like it's a great thing that he doesn't turn, turn the ball over? And I agree with you. I think the Sixers don't have as much room for error when you don't have a Ben Simmons. And when you're kind of so reliant on Joel and B, it, it, it taking care of the basketball becomes pretty important. But do you almost think that maybe sometimes you, you would sacrifice a maxi turnover or two for him to perhaps be a little bit more adventurous as a playmaker? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I did a, did a little film review on, on our website uh, on Max earlier this season and basically came, came to that same conclusion, uh, which, which I don't think should be especially controversial. We're not trying to say maxi should be, ultra risky with his player or right. that it's not a good thing that he preserves the ball really well. But I think just overall, the Sixers have been consistent with the messaging of we're a better team when Maxi is aggressive and when Maxi uh, is looking to attack the paint and put pressure on the rim. Because we all know when he does that, like the results are superb. Uh, and, and it's just a question of him doing that a little more. I think as far as his performance last night in particular, you know, wouldn't it make sense to be overly critical of that given the circumstances of uh, he was sitting in a hotel room uh, dealing with an asymptomatic uh, COVID case and not able to do a ton basketball wise and, and just getting back into the flow of things last night. Uh, but I do agree with the overall, overall point that um, there's a fine balance there and I think uh, him just putting the foot on the gas it tends not to be a bad thing for the Sixers, even if um, slightly increased turnover numbers are a byproduct. Right. And especially like I, you know, you get off to like, I, I 100% agree with you. Him, like last night, you can't gauge much from that performance and you can't really put too much stock into it because of what, you know, the, the, the circumstances and the context of it. But I was really encouraged because at the end of the first quarter, he drains those two threes and they were threes. Like those are the kind of threes that could make him so dangerous. When you're talking about one off the screen, off the dribble from Drummond, and then the other one being a step back above the break. I mean, that's, those are two shots that re that, that, that goes into a scouting report. Like that goes into a defense's mind for the next time they play against them and, you know, makes a difference. He was coming off a game where he hit, you know, a career high five in Brooklyn hasn't played since, unfortunately. Um, and then even the first play, you know, the first possession of the game, they, they the ball gets swung to him in the corner. He, do, you know, a, a taxi over aggressive closeout with a pump fake and hits a floater. Like, I just, I, I think going forward, um, I would just, I, I think he's, 
he is building, he's made progressions enough where I think he, he needs to feel more comfortable being a bigger part of the offense. Cause I think a big part of his issue is that he just simply defers because Joel Embiid is so great because Joel Embiid and, and Seth Curry just have such a connection. And sometimes they roll and even Tobias Harris, I think he just wants to defer. He wants to keep all the veterans happy when, you know, like you, you had already mentioned when he's getting downhill, when he's being aggressive, it seems to be what is best for the team. So um, I think going forward, we would like to see a little bit more of that in the second half. Um, you know, clearly he, he, he didn't, you know, he kind of disappeared for lack of a better word, but I think as you already discussed the, the, you know, him being in the health and safety protocols, missing so much time was clearly a factor there. And one of the things doc did in that second half when they were, you know, I, I mean, I, I didn't agree with him doing it at all. And I really didn't necessarily agree with the timing when he went to that big, that two big lineup with Embiid and Drummond as Danny green uh, affectionately called it. What was it? The King Kong Godzilla lineup. Um, I, I understood why he did it in Orlando. They were playing an inferior team. Um, they were getting killed on the glass and, you know, he was just, and they were also extraordinarily shorthanded. So he's just trying to do something different. I have to say, I, I didn't understand him going to it here because I thought they actually had crept back into the game simply because, as we've already touched on, the effort level had gone up. And I thought, really, that was the reason they had gotten back to the game more than anything, not necessarily a lineup or a certain player. I just thought they had stepped it up a notch on both ends of the floor. Um, Seth Curry did get going a little bit, and that certainly helped. But I, I thought it was more the collective effort. So I guess for you what were your thoughts when doc went to it initially? And then what did you see out of it when it was out there, that lineup? Yeah. I mean, my thoughts when he went to it initially uh, were, I guess, predominantly surprised. So I didn't think Andre Drummond was having a good game up until that point. So I saw Embiid going to the scorers table to check in for, for his final stint. And I just assumed, okay, Drummond's done. Uh, time to see if Embiid can, can lead this comeback down the stretch. Then realize, oh, the Twin Towers are <laughs> playing together here. Uh, I, I just was also surprised by it because of Charlotte's personnel and, and play style. And I, I think part of the reason Drummond struggled at times is that the Hornets are a smaller, more athletic team. Uh, and also, he wasn't really doing great at his strengths of rebounding the ball. I mean, there was one possession in this game where, with Drummond on the court, the Hornets grabbed three offensive rebounds, which just shouldn't happen. And uh, he wasn't making free throws. He wasn't scoring inside. He just wasn't contributing positively overall. So I think it's a little more understandable if Drummond is a little bit of a hot hand or the matchup is good for Drummond, that you go with uh, the King Kong Godzilla duo. But I didn't think uh, Drummond played well last night. And then having Embiid uh, share the floor with him uh, did not benefit Joel Embiid, I think is the bottom line. Uh, you know, I don't think it was a horrendous move or indefensible. Doc Rivers had a, a simple explanation post game that he just thought his team was playing awful. So might as well try something. I mean, fair enough. Uh, but when you do that, you're also open to criticism and scrutiny when the unorthodox decision you make uh, does not work. The minutes weren't disastrous. Uh, you know, there were a couple of times. Think, right? yeah. 
Yeah, they, you know, they hooked up on, on a few high lows. The, the defense uh, mostly held its own and forced Charlotte into tough looks. But uh, I, I am on the same page that I didn't think it was the move to make. I thought, if anything, he might consider playing a small ball lineup last night, in part, again, because I thought Drummond wasn't playing well. So I thought maybe we'd see uh, George Niang or, or Tobias Harris at center. Uh, to sort of go like for like with the Hornets, but uh, he went very much in the opposite direction and uh, it did not work. Yeah. You raise a couple of good points. Uh, the w- one thing that sticks out is, yeah, I mean, I, that Orlando game Drummond had been playing well, so it made a lot more sense because Drummond was playing better. And, and like you said, and with the play style, I think is really important too with Orlando. I mean, they, they have a couple bigs like, you know, so it kind of made more sense to do that. And yeah, like uh, I actually wasn't thinking that, but you're right. It, it would have probably made more sense to maybe try. That would have been a good opportunity to try Niang against PJ Washington at the five. I think that would have made a lot more sense um, at that point in the game. And then the other factor too is uh, you you mentioned before, you know, Charlotte having success with the zone and the Sixers not having success with it. I don't think the move to combat the zone is then to go with a center who doesn't shoot from the outside to play with your other center. Um, So, yeah, I thought it was kind of counterintuitive in that sense as well. And then, you know, I I just, with, with, with that too big lineup, I just, I just really don't, I, I, I get it. Like you said, I get it in the sense when another team has 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 that play style, has two bigs, is a more plotting opponent, but I don't get it against Charlotte. I will say this, though. The reason you can kind of get away with it, why I thought they kind of played even with them, Joel Embiid guarded Miles Bridges. Like, that was his assignment defensively. And I thought Miles, he might have he probably guarded Miles Bridges better than Tobias Harris did in the first half. So, I mean, that just speaks more to how special Joel Embiid is and how, you know, what his skill and his, his amazing abilities allows you to kind of do. And some of the things it it allows you to get away with. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll have more with Noah Levick on the other side. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I would be remiss, Noah, if I, if we went this whole podcast and we didn't talk at all about Ben Simmons and now the noise is starting to pick up a little bit now. Now that, you know, teams are kind of, I don't want to say, you know, getting over COVID, but it's, you know, I guess everyone's, learning how to deal with it, which isn't great, but that's the reality of the situation. So I think some front offices are now getting to a point. We saw a trade today. Uh, Cam Reddish, who I would have liked as a Sixers target, not as a primary guy in a Ben Simmons return, but maybe as a part of it. Um, he goes to the New York Knicks uh, in exchange for a first, uh, a conditional first round pick, some other things, uh, moving parts there as well. But 
the point is that the wheels appear to be greased a little bit. We're, we're hearing some rumors. Then we're also hearing some cold water being thrown on those rumors. So um, I'm really curious. Noah, you're a guy whose opinion I really trust. And I think you're um, one of the more uh, even keeled, more balanced uh, people out there on the beat. So I, I would really like to get your thoughts on the idea of, you know, two of the bigger teams that have been mentioned, the Kings who are clearly in desperation mode, who um, Sam Amick of the of the Athletic has suggested that Tyrese Halliburton or De'Aaron Fox could be had um, if the price is right. And then you look at Atlanta, and Atlanta, you know, according to multiple reports, Atlanta has been interested in Ben Simmons. Some whispers about John Collins, and, you know, it does make sense from a salary standpoint that he would be one of the guys. So I guess I want to start with... I know it's tough because you don't know all the offers. You don't know everything that's out there. But... Let's say hypothetically we're sitting there on February 10th and it's nearing 3 p.m. And the best deal you have on the table is something like Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, maybe a pick, let's say a first round pick from the from the Kings for Ben Simmons. Do you take that or do you think without again, without I know it's tough because you don't have the knowledge or do you think it's better to keep Ben Simmons past the deadline? Let him sit out an entire season and then try again in the offseason. It's borderline for me. Uh, it wouldn't be an offer that I enthusiastically accept in Daryl Morey's position. I will say that. I think the major, major unknown variable here that, of course, Morey and the Sixers decision makers are best positioned to evaluate is the likelihood that a superstar deal is legitimately feasible uh, post-deadline. And then obviously a a new factor to consider here is Damian Lillard um, had surgery uh, on his abdomen and and is out for an extended period of time. So, um, you know, as far as Lillard is concerned, um, that's another thing that the Sixers have to consider. Um, I I like, like Halliburton a lot. Uh, I think, of course, if you're looking at the Kings guards, Halliburton would theoretically be a better fit on this roster than Fox, although Fox would certainly help with the accelerated pace to, pace and adding a little juice and, and transition offense to the Sixer style. But uh, Halliburton, obviously a much better three-point shooter and someone who I think would project to be a nice complimentary kind of player around a star like Joel Embiid and also, uh, you know, capable of playing next to Tyrese Maxey in large part because of the shooting ability uh, and the playmaking ability, you know, with his skill as a, as a passer and also a, a good transition playmaker in his own right. Uh, so like, like Tyrese Halliburton, uh, not super high on Buddy Heald in isolation, but uh, if he does anything well, it's, it's shoot. Uh, and he's sure willing to shoot, which as we've discussed has been, something that Joel Embiid has long desired from his teammates. Uh, they so can use a guy who will jack up 10 threes a game. That would not be a bad thing yeah. to have. Buddy Heel, Buddy Heel will do that every night if you give him the chance. So I think uh, overall, like it's a decent offer. It's an intriguing offer. I, I don't think it's a great offer or, or one I jump out of my seat to accept because, you know, as we've said a million times, as flawed as Ben Simmons is, he is still only 25 years old. He has made three all-star games. He's one of the league's best and most versatile defenders and all of that. Um, 
So I, I guess my overall assessment would be borderline uh, with, with a few caveats and, and a few very important unknown variables. For sure. Um, because that's it's such a risky proposition. I, I could see it, and this is going to sound like a cop-out for me, but I can see it both ways when I look at it from Daryl Morey's perspective. Because, yes, you could pull the trigger on that move, and I think Heald and Halliburton make you a better team. Do they make you better than a second-round team in Eastern Conference? I'm not so sure. Um, you know, playing them with Joel Embiid certainly makes a difference. And I'm, I feel confident he will bring out the best in both of those players. Um, but at the same time, I, I would have, you know, a, a little bit of pause because then you'd be, you know, I, I guess you're starting backward is what Maxi and Halliburton and you're counting on two 21 year olds to try to lead you on a playoff run when you're a team that's trying to, you know, contend for a title. And, and the part of the reason you want to make a move is to help Joel Embiid in his prime, you know, in one of his prime seasons. And I don't know that bringing in another 21 year old guard is accomplishing that. Um, and then the other factor is, but then like, if you're looking at it on the positive side, you know, they do help you right now. They make you a better team right now. They, they certainly help you more than a Ben Simmons who's not playing. Um, and then theoretically, if you wanted to still go big game fishing, whether it's Lillard, whether it's Beal, whether it's Hart, whatever, um, you still have a, a Tyler's Halliburton is still a really attractive piece. You would think for a team who's rebuilding, um, which one of those teams that has one of those guys would be. Um, and then healed is a guy that can match. You can match contracts with, and then you still have picks um, whether it's, you know, picks you're getting from Sacramento or, you know, your own other than I think 2025 is the only one that'll be due to the thunder for in the Al Horford deal. But other than that, the Sixers have most of their first round picks. So you'd still have assets. If you made, if you pulled the trigger on that, you'd still have assets to go big game hunting. But at the same time, I think you raise an excellent point where I think, I get the last time we saw Ben Simmons, it wasn't pretty, but this is still an immensely talented 25 year old player. So, you know, in this summer, what's more attractive to a team, the possibility of, you know, if you're looking at Sacramento, is it more not even Sacramento? You're looking at the other teams. Like what's more attractive, you know, getting Ben Simmons at 25 years old um, with that contract or getting Tyrese Halliburton. And I think some people would say, that Ben Simmons would would still unquestionably be the, the the more valuable and more attractive trade piece. So it's it's a gamble, man. It, it's a big risk if you do that. If you hold on to him past February, um, and, and you go big game hunting, it's a gamble. But at the same time, again, it feels like all the time superstars are on the move in the NBA. It's been a weird time frame where that kind of hasn't happened in in a little bit in a little bit here. So when you look at the possibility of Damian Lillard maybe being traded this offseason. Bradley Beal, who knows, with him and his extension. Um, James Harden has been a name that's thrown out there. I don't see him leaving the Nets, but I guess you never know, and it's it's a, a possibility. Uh, when you look at the Celtics situation and Jalen Brown and where they go from here, seeing you know see how their season plays out. So, I mean, it, there could be players that will be theoretically available that maybe it would be better to hang on and wait till the offseason as opposed to just pulling the trigger on a Tyrese Halliburton move. The other team that, again, that we, um, that that's kind of been in the news is the Hawks. And I think Ben makes a lot of sense for them in a lot, in a lot of ways. Collins has been the guy that has been talked about. I like John Collins an awful lot. I, I think he's a pretty good player. And I think he's 24. And I think you could make the argument. He's still an ascending player, but 
I think the biggest issue with the Sixers is you're talking about him and Tobias Harris and that fit there. So I guess we'll start with, I probably already know your answer, but I'll ask anyway. Um, is there, do you envision a world where John Collins and Tobias Harris could play together for the Sixers? Um, and then going forward, there are also rumors that Tobias Harris is a name that, that, that could be moved as, you know, I guess basically essentially a, I don't want to say a salary dump because I think that's unfair to Tobias Harris, who I still think is a pretty good player despite his struggles. But um, I guess first we'll touch on, do you think Collins and Harris would be a fit? And if not, do you think that if the Sixers were able to move Tobias Harris, that Collins would be a guy that they would have interest coming back, um, coming back in a different deal? Yeah, I think Collins and Harris could play together on a playoff team. Uh, do I think it's at all likely that they could share the floor on a championship contender? No. I mean, clearly uh, there are some redundancies there and it would make sense, of course, for the Sixers to see if they can include Tobias Harris in some of these Ben Simmons trade offers and uh, create a little bit of an opening there where they're more easily able to acquire, um, you know, a power forward sort of player. Uh, as we've, we've talked about, I think with John Collins, the ability to be a high quality backup center behind Joel Embiid is intriguing and a major plus. Uh, I think for so long, this backup center situation hasn't been stable even this year, uh, Andre Drummond has added some good things to the table, but he's on a one-year contract, and he's a player that is not suited for all situations uh, the same way that John Collins is. John Collins, obviously not a beefy guy, uh, you know, perhaps would not be uh, ideal for, for matchups against hulking centers, but there aren't many of those in the NBA these days. And again, John Collins has played a bunch of backup center minutes for the Hawks, uh, and just the ability to back up and beat and then also play well alongside him, uh, I think is appealing. Uh, I don't think he's a top 25, top 30 difference maker caliber sort of player. Uh, and I think, yeah, Tobias Harris has to be elsewhere for the notion of does John Collins significantly elevate the Sixers to a substantial degree uh, to even really be something, uh, you know, that we're discussing um, is how I see that. With Tobias, I have a couple of questions. First of all, um, you see the whispers, uh, and now it's it seems like it's more than a whisper because now it's being reported by multiple people. You see the report that they're trying to, to move Tobias Harris along with Ben Simmons in a deal. What was your initial reaction when you saw that report? Uh, just that trying and succeeding are different, different. <laughs> um, yeah. M makes sense. Makes sense to gauge interest and try to pitch that, but it's a big contract that, uh, you know, it, it's very difficult to imagine other teams uh, wanting to take on, but Hey, can't, can't hurt to uh, ask questions and uh, make your case. And, and evidently, that's how the Sixers front office feels uh, based on let, the reports. Yeah, let me put it to you this way. 
do you glean anything off of that rumor? Like, as in, do you take that as there maybe isn't the value they would like right now for Ben Simmons? So maybe another way to get value is to get off Tobias's contract. And that's a way where maybe they feel more comfortable taking a guy like Collins because one, you're making him fit better, but then also you're creating, you know, you're, you're becoming a little bit more flexible, possibly financially. Perhaps I, I know that um, I believe Tom Moore from uh, Bucks County Courier Times reported that part of the thinking w- with having Harris in discussions is, of course, if you trade him, then you are able to get back a power forward. So just positionally that it expands uh, the number of players that you could acquire in a Ben Simmons trade. Uh, Collins, obviously the, the perfect example of that concept. But I, I just think the willingness to include him, to me, it shows Maury in the front office are attempting to be creative and explore every option and not leave stones unturned. But I'm not sure I glean anything profound from it other than that. Obviously, it's in indication that as opposed to when they first signed Harris, it sure doesn't seem like they see him any longer as an ascendant player with heaps of untapped potential. Uh, But I think overall, it's not a development that I consider incredibly meaningful. Fair enough. Yeah. And I mean, on top of Collins, I mean, the one of the most kind of attractive guys out there is another power forward in, in Demonis Sabonis, who again, like I, I think there's, there could be a the- theoretical fit with Joel Embiid, but there's just no fit when you're talking about Tobias Harris, Demonis Sabonis and Joel Embiid. If you can perhaps, you know, again, move off of, um, move off of Tobias's contract, you can go with a starting lineup of something like Maxi Curry, Danny Green for shooting, and then Sabonis at the four and beat at the five. And then also Sabonis, similar to Collins, and that you can play him some backup five and, you know, have him do some pick and pop stuff in the second unit and all that. And um, he's a very good rebounder as well, which would solve a, a pretty glaring um, issue for the Sixers as well. But as long as Tobias Harris is here, that's just totally not realistic. But I also want to touch on too, Noah. Um, you, you were there last night at, at the game at the arena and post game Doc Rivers and, and Tobias Harris both kind of reacted to the rumors that are out there. And it just seems like with Tobias and I think like, like, listen, let's just get it out. Like he makes a lot of money. He makes it, he's a near max player and he's, he's near max contract, but he's not, in, he's just not to that level of player. That's just a reality that I, I think any, everyone who watches basketball that covers basketball could agree on at the same time there is a human element to this and the guy had COVID this year came back at a hip issue then had I guess what you could say is the flu missed a bunch of time there now it was revealed um, by Chris Haynes of Yahoo that um, he, he received an MRI and apparently is dealing with some tendonitis in his right shoulder I'm sure that is not helping his shooting at all um, it, you saw the the tape on it last night so I guess, Noah, just the human element of this and just Tobias's response and Doc's response, you know, when you're there in person and just kind of what, you know, I guess take 
people in that aren't there, take them into that scenario when you're watching uh, like what Tobias, you know, his response to those kind of questions. Right. I think just with Harris in particular, it's telling to me how open he's been this year about his health, because I know in the past there have been one or two occasions. uh, I know when, when I like asked, asked about ailments, where he didn't want to reveal much and clearly took pride in being a durable player. And this is someone who's played 82 games, um, you know, multiple times and just was a workhorse for much of his NBA career. And this year he's been very upfront about what he's dealing with. As you mentioned first, uh, going through some significant COVID symptoms, missed six games for that, and then had these, lingering effects that he was also candid about. Uh, And then last night, uh, it just struck me as a weird situation, frankly, that he hadn't been on any injury reports that he's listed as probable with right shoulder pain. Uh, And then this report comes out that you mentioned that the shoulder pain is specifically tendonitis. Uh, And and then so I, 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 you know, asked about it after the game and he revealed this is something that happened in November six on November sixteenth in Utah, so we're talking about um, you know about two months ago almost, and he acknowledged that he still feels it every day, and he described it as an irritating pain. Uh, I know you know fans don't want to hear excuses from him now; they just want him to play better. But the reality is, he he has valid excuses, and and in my mind, this is one of them. And you look at the numbers, his shooting has been worse since he says he suffered this right shoulder injury. He's been about 28% from three, 43% from the floor. And that's logical to me. Uh, the right shoulder, that's an important part of your shot, like obviously. Uh, so I think he is frustrated. We know the fan base is frustrated. Um, and we appreciate, you know, as reporters, t- him being honest about both his, his physical and mental state. I and mean, with the trade rumor specifically, he said he did, you know, didn't really want to get into it, but he acknowledged it was, I think his words were, taking too much of his energy the last couple of days. So he is not oblivious to the rumors out there. Uh, he sees it all. And, uh, you, you know, you, ideally you're able to block that out as a player and have tunnel vision, but I, I just don't think uh, that is possible in many of these cases. And it's clearly been a difficult season for him and uh, he's struggling with a lot of factors outside of his control. And then also the factors within his control aren't going very well. You know, some of the decision-making continues to be plotting and, and the isolation uh, basketball hasn't yielded great results and all of that. But uh, to me, it's, it's a nuanced situation here with Harris. And uh, I think, you know, any honest assessment of the situation has to have some degree of sympathy um, just with all of the things that he has, has gone through and is continuing to go through. For sure. He's, uh, you know, you could say again, his, you want to, you know, critique his play. You want to say that he's overpaid all those things. Yeah. All that's fair game. But at the same time, um, he is a guy that has played, I think it was the hand, right? He had the hand tape for like months and never, it was never on the injury report. He never told anybody about it. He was asked about it and never said a word of it. He said it was fine, uh, but clearly it's not. If you're getting taped every night, 
um, there's clearly a lingering issue there. So, I mean, I, I, like you said, it's commendable. It's, it's extremely commendable. He wants to be, he doesn't want to make excuses for himself. He wants to play every night. He wants to be known as a guy who's durable and can play all 82 and all that. Um, I, I wonder perhaps if at some point, if he's going to continue to struggle like this, perhaps he needs to just step aside and say, you know what, my shoulder, it's not great. Um, I'm not helping the team right now. Maybe I need to take a step back. I don't know that he gets to that point because as we mentioned, he is such a prideful person and you go again, say whatever you want about the guy, but the dude is tough. He does. He works really hard. And you mentioned the thing with the fans. Um, that's really out of character for him. So I think that's a sign of how much this season and everything's really weighing on him. Cause that's not something he's done. He's always been really appreciative of the fans and always been good to the fans. And um, even when they've been down on him in times in the past, he hasn't um, kind of responded in that way. So to see that reaction, you knew like it's, it's clear he is, it, it's physical, it's mental. And, and, you know, you just like, I, I and that's all I want to say. You know, I think you conveyed it very well now, but I just want to, you know, reiterate that there is such a human element to this and to, you know, as much as I, you want to put Tobias Harris in your trade machines and I get it and it's all fair. Um, just keep that human element in your head when you're assessing his play, when you're assessing the team and when you're um, looking at the team overall, uh, uh, that's going to be it for us. I want to thank my guest, Noah Levick, uh, Sixers insider at NBC sports, Philadelphia.com. You can go check out all of his outstanding work there as well as the Sixers talk podcast. Um, I'm sure we will have Noah on again in the near future. Uh, for now, I am your host, Paul Hudrick. I want to say thank you all so much for listening to the Coming In for a Landing podcast on the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. Please rate, subscribe, and download wherever you get your podcast. And I will talk to you guys next time.